You are listening to the Conversations in Clean Energy podcast, brought to you by nonprofit Sustainable Westchester, a consortium of Westchester County, New York member municipalities, developing and implementing energy solutions that are socially, fiscally, and environmentally sound. This episode is produced in collaboration with NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Host Rodina Volova, the Regulatory Vice President at the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, and guests will explore a range of topics in the clean energy sector from policy and legislation to current marketplace solutions and the innovation driving the next generation of technologies, accelerating the transition to clean energy. Remember, the views or opinions expressed in this recording reflect those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of Sustainable Westchester, the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, or our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Daikin, the world's largest HVAC manufacturer, leading change in North America with superior ductless technology applied to ductless applications. For more, visit DaikinComfort.com. The show starts now. We know that new construction is by and large being designed with heat pumps, but what about existing buildings that could benefit from 21st century heating and cooling? In this episode with our guests, Tom and Barry, we will debunk the myth that air source heat pumps or variable refrigerant flow systems aren't suitable for older building stock. Welcome Tom and Barry. Thank you. First, I'd like to ask, what was the existing heating and cooling system in your respective buildings? And second, what did the buildings, their owners, and the occupants have to lose or gain by installing air source heat pumps? The building in my project, which is a a five-story, 10-unit building in Manhattan, originally had a one-pipe steam oil-fired system where the boiler provided not only the space heat, but also domestic hot water. Uh, This is a very, very common system in in New York City as a whole. There has been some move towards conversion to gas over the last few years, but I would say the majority of buildings probably are still oil-fired in New York City. And such Systems have been problematic for decades. Uh, The most common problem being a lot of overheating of the apartments. They're very difficult to balance so that everybody gets the right amount of heat. And so the very common joke about these systems is that they're controlled by the uh, double hung thermostat, which is a way of saying people open their windows so that they can cool off. And as you can imagine, that's very inefficient. And so that, that's a, a, a huge benefit that a heat pump system would have because something like overheating or underheating for that matter is basically eliminated. Barry, how about you? The project that uh, I'm discussing today is a 71,000 square foot, four-story office building in Terrytown, New York. And the ownership, I don't think they were highly motivated at the beginning. And, but they started to look into alternatives. They have rooftop equipment was the existing equipment. It was about 40 years old and end of life. So they were looking at a fairly large cost to just to replace the gas fired heating and uh, you know plate cooling system that they had. And they were looking at potential savings in energy 
But also with the systems like that, they're not really comfortable, kind of the same that Tom referred to, but with rooftop units, you're just blowing one temperature air from the roof into all the spaces. And, you know, I call it the Goldilocks effect where a third of the people are comfortable, a third are too warm and a third are too cold. And, you know, summer and winter, and it just isn't a really effective, they had comfort issues. And uh, so as a result, they started looking at alternatives. And it was the contractor who talked to Con Ed about incentives for heat pumps and then came to us and actually attended a workshop and discovered our whole model for replacing that existing equipment. It's interesting to hear that comfort plays a role in both of your projects, both for residential and commercial customers. So when we're talking about the benefits of heat pumps, we're not just talking about the environmental benefits or the cost savings benefits. It really has meaningful impact for the occupants of the buildings as well. Well, tell us a little bit more about the technology that was used. What is the difference between the air source heat pump system um, that you used, Tom, in the multifamily building and the variable refrigerant flow or VRF system used in the corporate building? Well, it was an air source heat pump in each apartment. And they... it was very important that we use what's called a cold climate certified system. Uh, there's an organization called NEEP, N-E-E-P. I forget what it stands for, but they certify whether certain heat pumps are suitable for cold climate operation. And this is really important because heat pumps have a reputation for shifting into expensive resistance heat mode when the outdoor temperature gets below 40 degrees and everybody's electric bill just goes through the ceiling. So uh, these are systems where no electric resistance backup is needed. No, no backup of any kind is needed. In our project, we had a separate system for each apartment. And from my perspective, this is a very important difference because One of the problems that you have with a centralized system, like a centralized oil system, this building happens to be a co-op. So everybody pays in their common charges a certain amount each year for oil. It's not a feedback loop. It's a number that they don't even know what it is. And they, they don't have any ability to reduce it by changing their behavior. If you have an individual heat pump for each apartment, they're now getting a feedback loop Uh, from their electric meter every month. And they can see, oh man, my electric bill went way up. Maybe I should change the set point of my heat pump or something like that. So it sounds like an additional benefit to the system that you're describing is that it sends price signals to customers to change their behavior, to increase their own efficiency. Yes, very much so, which I think is really important. I, I don't think we can get to 80 by 50 if a majority of users don't have the price signal and and can react to it. That's a really great point, yes. Um, And for the audience, um, we're talking about uh, the New York Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which has as its goal reducing New York's greenhouse gas emissions 85% by 2050. And absolutely, I think it has to be a combination of approaches, both customer behavior, technology, incentives, all of the above. 
Barry, how, how about you? Can you tell us a little bit about the technology in your project? In an office building, you have much larger spaces, much larger capacities. So they're using, rather than just heat pumps with uh, smaller outdoor units, uh, VRF or VRV is variable refrigerant flow or variable refrigerant volume. And that allows you to, and there's a, two different types of heat pumps in the VRF, VRV world. You have just straight heat pumps, which you either put the system on heating or cooling. And then there's a, what they call either simultaneous heating and cooling or heat recovery where one occupant in that system, one office in that office building could be heating and another one could be cooling. In that office building, we did use a heat recovery system with the VRF system because you have people that are on the outside of the building in the winter, maybe needing heat because they're in the windows. They have windows and less, you know, more exposure to colder temperatures. Whereas people in the middle of the building are doing cooling because there are many people and computers and other, other things. So you're simultaneously heating and cooling, especially in shoulder seasons. It can be the other way in the summer where the people with windows are having their offices warm up or people in the middle don't have that so much. So this is a, for a commercial application like offices, having that capability can be a real plus and actually can save energy because the people that are cooling, the heat that they're taking to cool from that space can be used to heat the places that are calling for heating. And so that simultaneous heating and cooling is a, another energy saver. So that system was a little more complex. They do have systems that are in each of the large spaces. So a tenant would have their own, call it own systems on their own meter as well. It's not the whole building isn't done with a single system as opposed to the big rooftop units where, which were just blowing hot or cold air into the building, into the whole spaces. You know, it's basically the building was divided in half and half the building, four floors were all getting the same heating or cooling. So one of the big takeaways is that individuals in individual offices in the building have been much more comfortable after everything got sorted out and they've been able to set their own. One other small takeaway is I anticipated this and told the contractor that he'd probably find it is that there were over 50 little space heaters under desks in that building. And they were being used in the summer as well as in the winter. Wow. And it's one of the reasons we exceeded the model on energy savings is because the, the heat pump system had much more control in individual spaces. People were more comfortable without bringing an electric space heater to stick under their desk. And, you know, the contractor told me in a meeting, he said, there were more than 50 of those space heaters. I anticipate, I told him before we even started, I'll bet there are a bunch of space heaters. He said there were over 50 that they counted when they were doing the project and that they saw them even running in the summertime. Wow. So, <laughs> so comfort's a big factor and it, uh, in the energy side, it's a part of why you know a bunch of 1500 watt space heaters under desks uses a lot of energy. So we eliminated that mostly as far as I know. <laughs> and so that's been a big plus too. 
That's, that's great. As I'm hearing you say this, I'm thinking back to situations in which I've worked in large office buildings, and I'm so envious of the people who can now control their climates more comfortably. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a lot of people don't realize, but until yep. you, till you get in there and see it, it really has been a major impact. Before the conversation continues, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Daikin is a Fortune 1000 company with more than 76,000 employees worldwide and is the world's number one air conditioning company. Daikin North America is a subsidiary of Daikin Industries Limited. Daikin North America and its affiliates manufacture heating and cooling systems for residential, commercial, and industrial use and are sold via independent HVAC contractors. For more, visit daikincomfort.com. Welcome back to the conversation. Let's talk about finance and money. I think um, a lot of people have trepidation about heat pump technology, clean heating and cooling, because they're concerned about the costs, particularly for retrofits. What was the incremental cost between replacing the existing equipment with the new heat pump system? And what was the return on investment for each of your projects? On my project, we aren't going to know that for a while. We've just gone into what's called MNV mode, monitoring and verification. So we won't know for a year what the energy use of the new system is. We, we know what the energy use of the old system was, of course, but we're just getting now into measuring what they're using. And, and, and we've got the thing wired up. We've got about 90 temperature sensors throughout the entire building. We're measuring the electric consumption of each individual heat pump plus each individual apartment. And we're really monitoring the heck out of this thing. And so we hope to have very comprehensive data uh, when we finish. And even now, just having started the M&V process, we're, we're seeing some things that we didn't expect and we're trying to come up with ways to uh, perhaps adjust them so that people will use even less energy than, than they've started out using. So uh, as far as the return on investment, we're not going to know that for at least a year. Got it. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of measurement so that when you do get data, you'll be able to determine what those savings are. Yeah, well, and, you know, a shout out to NYSERDA for providing the funds for, for the M&V. We're doing it under their auspices. So that was a, a huge boost for us because it, it made it possible. I imagine before we move on to Barry, I imagine that gathering that kind of data is very important for making the case for others who might want to invest in these kinds of projects, right? To be able to show, to actually demonstrate cost savings. Well, it's critical because the investment in a, a heat pump conversion in, a, in an existing building is always going to be greater than if it's new construction. And so there's a lot of fear in decision makers' minds. Well, what if we spend all this money and, you know, we end up not saving anything or whatever, you know. So we wanted to be able to show people that, okay, we spent X on putting the thing in and they spent Y uh, heating and or cooling the place afterwards. And here's the numbers. And we think actually also will be helpful to policymakers because uh, at the moment, the incentives that exist are at a certain level and, and they're actually quite generous. 
it may be that in the future they have to increase the size of the uh, incentives or, or decrease them. Hard to know, but this will give people hard data to make decisions with. That's a really critical point. Yes, both from making the case to individual customers and from policymaking. Barry, how about you? Yeah, on that uh, office project, and we we are waiting for full year, you know, data on the utility bills and so forth. But the uh, the cost to replace the existing equipment with code compliant rooftop equipment was one point seven million dollars. The cost for our retrofit with uh, heat recovery VRF and ERVs, the uh, energy recovery ventilation systems, was two million. So there was a $300,000 incremental cost. They got their money back in one year. Wow. And that we show um, between incentives. So they got $128,000 from Con Ed, the utility. And then in the first year with just half the building done. This building was done while it was occupied, which is an important factor. So they didn't have to move tenants out. The work was done in the evenings on all the inside work. And so they were able to leave the tenants. And so half the building was done first and then the second half was done after the first half was commissioned. With half the building done for 10 months and only the last two months, being completely done, they saved $153,000 in utility costs. Wow. So if you add that up and we extrapolate out, we anticipate it'll be close to $200,000 a year in savings. That's uh, dramatic, you know, and basically puts between the incentives and the savings at one year on the incremental cost. So one other factor was, and, and this is from learning, this is nothing against the contractor or the people that designed it, but even the heat pump system, we think in the end is gonna end up being over, oversized. You know, They replaced equipment that was there with more heat pumps than they needed. And we're learning more as we do more of these projects. And we were able to reduce it dramatically from as far as the heating and cooling capacity when you apply this entire model. And we think that it's very viable that we could have the cost for replacing existing equipment in a project just like that as on par and have a ROI for the incremental cost be zero. That's, that's great. It sounds like you have some really great, as you're speaking earlier with Tom, some great data to show the value proposition. Yeah, and we are also we just initiated and have a contract with, through the Institute for Market Transformation in Washington, we have a contract to do 15 projects in New York State that will be heavily measured and verified using the same model. And uh, we're looking for projects actually to do that, to uh, do more of these so that we can get, as Tom said, it's really important to have accurate data, reliable, predictable, information for building owners to make informed decisions so that when they write those big checks that they know that what the return is going to be and in some cases using pace financing and other options to do the financing part and you can see that you know the return can be really powerful on this model to pay back the loan without having any out-of-pocket in effect so there's some really positive things coming out of it 
Great. Did I see Tom, your, your hand go up? Yeah, I just one thing I wanted to add is that in, in the project that I'm working on, uh, when we first looked at the before energy data, I kept thinking that I had missed something somewhere because their energy use was so low compared to many buildings that I've dealt with in the past. And it wasn't until I'd been on the project for a while that I understand how this was possible. It just turned out that uh, there's this one guy in the building who's kind of, uh, he's very committed to saving energy. And so he used to run the boiler at a very low set point. And in addition to that, there's uh, two or three out of the 10 apartments have no radiators. And so at first I was a, a bit chagrined. I thought, well, this is not really a normal example. But then I thought, on the other hand, if we, if we reduce their energy costs in this building, which is way down the scale in terms of energy use compared to most buildings in New York, then I'm convinced we can save, save energy costs anywhere because the, these, guys, the, these guys were running their building like a meat locker, to be honest. That's a, that's a great point. Um, it sounds like data is important both from the energy and cost savings once the equipment is installed, the, the heat pump equipment, but also the preliminary benchmarking data for what the building was doing beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Barry, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Calculating the energy use in an oil-fired building, especially trying to sort out what goes to space heating and what goes to domestic hot water is very difficult because of the uh, sort of random nature of, of the oil deliveries. So that's something that we're working on right now, trying to refine how much does each resident of the building get back as a, a rebate in their common charges to make up for the fact that the oil bill is now a lot lower than it used to be. That's a really good question. I'm wondering if this leads us into a, our next discussion item. As with any major capital improvement, I'm, I'm sure you both faced some hurdles. Can you talk a little bit about what some of the challenges were that you faced as you worked to install the heat pump technologies in your properties? The one that really sticks out in my mind was one that I could never have anticipated which was that after the electrician had finished doing their part of the job, they went around with the almost kind of a pro forma inspection of the, uh, the electrical panels in each apartment. And they discovered that on the top floor, the, the voltage between the two legs of voltage going into each apartment was zero. And it should have been 208. And so <laughs> to make a really long story short, after tearing our hair out, trying to figure everything out, we found out that the connection in the street from Con Ed, the wires had been crossed on the wrong phases. And so Con Ed actually <laughs> had to come and take this big, you know, this big metal plate out of the street into this vault and clean it out and then re-switch the wires. And it was pretty crazy. You know, you try to anticipate everything that can go wrong. And then there's something that just phew, comes at you from the side. You never, you never saw it coming. 
Yeah. Wow. That, that does sound like quite the unexpected hurdle. Barry, how, how about you? What, uh, any special challenges that you face? I, th- I think that going in, getting the modeling done and, and being able to present to the building owner a model based on speculation almost, and we exceeded the model by about 300%, it turns out, so we're okay there. But getting a model done and, and going through that whole process has been one of the challenges. This is where getting data from multiple projects and having a predictable model that you can use without having to spend a lot of money, time, and effort on trying to model what the predictable outcome is gonna be and the return on investment. That was probably the biggest one. And we were really fortunate. We had a really good team. And that's one thing I'd suggest is a really critical element in these larger projects is we had reps, distributors, engineers, sales engineers from both the ventilation side from my company from the heat pump side, which was the Fujitsu engineer on the job. And again, the reps and distributors, and then you had the contractor. And so there was a lot of following the, what they call the seven P rule, you know, proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And there was a lot of that done. And one thing that was fortunate on that project is that they had a, a garage, a parking garage under the building. And the ownership gave the contractor a section of the parking garage. They actually put in a chain link fence and fenced it off. So he was able to go in and stage all of his equipment that he had to put in after hours where he was under a time frame. They could lay it all out in a space and where it was protected and so forth. And so they could plan really well before they were going in in the evening after hours. And so there, there was some really good planning done. And so I'd say that the real hurdles were very minimal and it was because of, you know, a contractor that really planned it out and was deliberate in his process. That team that you're going to work with is probably the most important to have an experienced team that knows what to look for and knows where can identify those pitfalls that you might be running into. I can say one of the hardest things in a lot of retrofits and Tom can speak to this in the project he did, is the ventilation part. Running, running uh, pipes and lines for heat pumps is fairly easy. Running ductwork and getting ventilation in and to an out of spaces is a lot more challenging. And so to do our model that combines very high efficiency heat recovery ventilation with heat pumps, you have to really and analyze the project and make sure that you're going to be able to get everything in and out of the building that you need to. Got it. Thank you. And Tom, how about you? One thing that became pretty clear to me as this project was developing and, and over the last couple of years, it's, as it's been moving forward is that I, I already perceive, and, and this is just my opinion, it's not a scientific survey, but I already perceive that there is, a shortage of capable HVAC technicians, in, at least in the New York metropolitan area. And um, I assume that as the pace of heat pump adoption increases, that that shortage is going to become even greater. And one of the concerns that I have is that if you don't have the right people doing the installation and they 
are not careful and they don't follow the exact procedures. My biggest concern is that there's going to be a lot of refrigerant leaks. And you say, well, uh, what's the big deal? Just put more refrigerant in. Well, the problem is that if the heat pump refrigerant doesn't leak, then the system overall is going to have a lower greenhouse gas output than a steam, an oil-fired steam system. But if you have even more than, I don't know, five, six, seven percent leakage, which is roughly the industry average, the greenhouse gas potential of, of these refrigerants that are currently in use is so huge that you would completely eliminate the greenhouse gas benefit of electrification. So for example, R410A, which is a very commonly used refrigerant at the moment and is the one in use in the project that I'm involved with, its global warming potential is about 2,200 times as big as CO2. So a small leak you know, goes a long way towards destroying the planet. So it, it's just absolutely essential that we get people who know what they're doing and, and, and actually do it. Because if we don't do that, then the benefits of electrification are, are going to evaporate. That is such an important point. Um, thank you both for your thoughts on the things that folks should consider when it comes to installing heat pumps um, and retrofits. I think from what I'm hearing, Barry, you brought up some really important points regarding planning for a project effectively and staging all of the necessary equipment, material, people, all of the various elements of bringing the project together. And Tom, you raised some really important issues about how the rollout of heat pumps fits within a state's overall climate and energy goals. And it sounds like this is an important point both for workforce development programs in terms of building up the capacity of the workforce as the industry grows and also for policymakers and maybe for technology manufacturers to figure out how to reduce leakage in order to not have an unintended negative consequence. Yeah, well, I see it as several tracks operating in parallel. Uh, you've got the electrification process itself, which is the kind of thing that Barry and I are involved in. Uh, you've got the so-called greening of the electrical grid, which absolutely has to you know, move forward. I'm a little, speaking of Westchester, I'm a little concerned that once uh, Indian Point goes offline, it's going to make it that much more difficult to have a green grid. That's something that's going to have to be addressed very soon. And then the third parallel track, as I see it, is this workforce development. I think it's essential. A lot of people talk about green jobs, and it's absolutely correct, but it's not just green jobs. You've got to have, you got to have people who are well-trained and who really know what they're doing, whether they're NABCEP certified solar people or appropriately trained HVAC technicians. I personally think that both of those job categories are gonna have almost unlimited potential between now and 2050 and beyond. It's a great field for somebody to go into, especially if they enjoy working with their hands. But all this stuff has to happen in concert. 
because if, if you don't green the grid, then other aspects of the electrification just aren't, you know, aren't going to be beneficial. You know, if you have, still have coal-fired plants, then it's, it's not going to help you that much. And the other thing about leaks, uh, the leak thing is really crucial. And actually, one other way to address that, which some manufacturers are trying to, to get changes made, is uh, there's a refrigerant called R32, which uh, the global warming potential of R32, I think, is only about 600. So it's certainly still much worse than CO2, but it's three or four times as good as R410A. So there, there are some manufacturers who are saying, Let, let's move over to R32. It's actually slightly more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. There are some flammability issues, but in fact, you, you could go into a big box store right now, or at least maybe during last summer, and pick up uh, a window air conditioner as big as 12,000 BTUs that's all R32. So that may be a direction that the industry is going to move. I don't know. What, what do you think, Barry? Does that sound right to you? There's a major initiative and ASHRAE is spending millions of dollars to move in the direction of better refrigerants. And so, yeah, I think that I follow it a little bit and they are making some moves toward, you know, R32. And I think the big one is CO2 as a refrigerant and new heat pumps. And that's already here in some cases. And I've seen Mitsubishi's coming out with a CO2 heat pump and so I, th I think that there are a lot of opportunities that are going to happen with heating, cooling, with heat pumps in various ways. Also running warm or chilled water through ceiling panels for heating and cooling as opposed to air-to-air -air heat pumps. So they're, they're, we'll see it continue to evolve. The key is heat pumps of one form or another are going to be the future. And, and they are addressing the refrigerants in a big time. We are at the time to close off. And as our last question, I would love it if you could share a little bit. There was one lesson you've learned as part of this process that you would like to share with others. What would it be? Very simply, attention to detail. You have to pay attention to all the details and you have to get it right. And if you do that, you'll have a successful project. If you don't do that, you won't. And as I mentioned earlier, get a team together. Make sure you have all the pieces and parts with, with the people that have some experience and, and leverage that team and their knowledge because these are fairly complex applications with different parts and pieces and you need to have the people that can do it. So I'd say that's, that would sum it up. Wonderful, those are very valuable lessons to, I think, cap off and close a wonderful conversation. Thank you both. You've been listening to Sustainable Westchester's Conversations in Clean Energy, sponsored by Daikin, the world's largest HVAC manufacturer. For more, visit daikincomfort.com. Please remember that the views or opinions expressed in this recording reflect those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of our sponsors, Sustainable Westchester, or the Interstate Renewable Energy Council. Nonprofit Sustainable Westchester offers a robust portfolio of clean energy solutions for municipalities, property developers, businesses, and residents. 
If you're a building owner, operator, architect, engineer, or professional who would like to explore implementing the 21st century heating and cooling technologies featured on today's episode, reach out to us. We will help you navigate available resources, including technical assistance, financing, and rebates. Today's episode was produced by Sustainable Westchester's Commercial Clean Heating and Cooling Team. Program Director Rachel Carpatella and Project Manager Harleen Srivastava with marketing and promotional support from Maria Genovesi and technical production from the Sound Media Group. This episode was produced in collaboration with NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. Stay tuned for another episode real soon.